A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. This is Paul Hawksby. And Andy Jacobs. And welcome once again to the H&J Daily, some of the best bits of this afternoon's show. We had a stellar lineup, didn't we, of which you'll hear mm. selected highlights. Uh, it's always good to see a legend, a man we grew up watching and absolutely love to see. He's in brilliant, in fine federal in his mid-80s. Sir Michael Parkinson was here. Yeah, uh, talking about his book about George Best. Yeah, very, very good. I hope you enjoy that. Uh, Justin Morehouse came in. He was Always good form. to see him. Yeah, and uh, we uh, also, we had a little bit of a chat. And a few topical, Covered some ground. Topical jokes at the top of the show. Oh, yeah. And we had a ceremonial uh, Christmas lights. the Christmas lights. You'll hear yeah. that. A celebrity turned on the official uh, Christmas lights in Andy's beard. Here it all is. <laughs> interesting news this morning about Sergio Aguero. Oh, yeah. Yes, he's looking to buy an apartment on the 65th floor. I don't know if you saw that. Mm. Uh, but I do hope he doesn't fall off the balcony. Aguero! <laughs> Etc. You get the idea there. You get the idea with that. Yeah, yes. yeah. At the 250 at Doncaster today, it's called the, really honestly, hmm. the Flake 99 Chase. Yeah. I hope the winning jockey isn't done for excessive use of the Mr. Whippy. Oh, that's beautiful. Come on. Come on. That's, that's what, this is what they want. This is what this they is want. Excellent, yeah. <laughs> and a good piece in uh, The Sun today from hmm. Dave Kitson. He does write really well. He talks about the... Uh, anonymity between Tony Pulis and Arsene Wenger. Yeah. I was wondering if he'd be bringing out a book, The Secret Journalist. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's been another series, isn't there, by uh, another author along those lines. And I did watch a bit of the game between yeah. reading Parky's book, and it's an excellent book. We'll hear more of that later. I did watch uh, Chelsea against Pauk. It was a walk in the Pauk, as Moose might say. <laughs> and uh, it really was. Ter- they were terrible. Mm. I, I never understand why a defender will commit a red card foul to prevent a goal-scoring opportunity after seven minutes. Yeah, I mean, even if Chelsea dull. had gone one nil up, they weren't a bad little side. You know, they're top of the league in Greece. They would have had a lot more chance to turn it around with eleven men. Mm. I just don't get it. I don't. It's such a daft thing to do by a defender. But anyway, after that, it was mm. too easy. Uh, but you do look at Chelsea, and sometimes you just—I mean, Giroud. I've been banging on about Giroud. He should be playing. Should be starting. instead of Morata. And this idea—it's it's so self-defeating. Oh, we've paid fifty-eight million for him, and we've only paid eighteen million for Giroud, so we have to yeah. pay. You know, but there's no point because if you don't make the top four, which you won't if you keep playing Morata, then that costs you thirty million. Mm. You can sell Morata at the end of the season; you'll get at least forty million back. You know, so it's, economically it makes no sense. It's just pride. It's just no one wants to admit they've made a ricket. Well, yeah. I mean, it goes back to that excellent piece that Gareth McCauley did a little while ago in the summer when he was talking about when he went to the Albion mm. uh, hierarchy and said, why am I getting a game? And they said, well, it's very difficult to give you a game, basically, when we've paid 
uh, a lot of money for your replacement. Yeah. <laughs> so we look stupid. We play you instead of that you. That is the problem. But there's no question. He just makes... It shouldn't be about that, should He it? makes Chelsea look better. And this is really controversial. <clears throat> but if you're not going to play Kante in his proper position, mm. where he's the world's best, yeah. but you're going to play him in this sort of advanced role where he needs to be quite a good footballer, uh, I think basically you might as well sell him. Because wow. Loftus-Cheek is a better footballer than Kante. In that is. position. In that position. Yeah. Not in as a holding midfielder. He'd be much better in that. He's, honestly, he has to play. I mean, you really, when you look at this play, he, mm. he has to play for Chelsea. It drives you, it just drives you mad. But anyway, the opposition, obviously, the the counter argument is the opposition weren't very good, and of course they, they're going to look better. I only saw the goals. The only thing I really noticed mm. was Morata scored lovely cross from Hudson Odoi, <laughs> and um, Morata scored with a header and gave the Matthew Harding lower behind the goal a really mm. filthy look. And I just thought, they've obviously, you know, a lot of Chelsea fans have not been happy with the way he's been playing and getting mm. on his back. But it's never never a good idea to go to war with the fans. No. But Even if you get them, you know, because for every one you score, you might miss another 10 and they're back on your case. I, but I think the fans have been right behind him. But, mm. the, you know, when you mm. when you miss the chances, it's not even the missing of the chances, which is, it's bad. It's his general play. You know, it's just, you, you, you want to play in a certain way and that requires the centre forward to hold the ball up on occasion, not fall over every time it comes to him. He's, yeah, he's great in the eight. In the right team, in the right league, Morata is a fine player. Yeah. There's no question Sometimes about that's it. the case. Sometimes yeah. it's not right. It's not the right time, the right club. No, he's a very, very good striker. It's worth a lot of money, but he's not right for Chelsea. So, you know, I would you know, sometimes you think cut your losses, but if the manager still sees something there, they're going to keep working at it. And there's plenty of yeah. players who've turned their careers around. I mean, the, clubs, the manager as well. You know, he is funny. The way, what he said about uh, Hudson Adore, he says, <clears throat> uh, uh, yeah, Callum played very well, but the, this type of match was for his characteristics. They were down to 10 men after seven minutes, so we only needed to play in the offensive phase. He's really able to do this. Uh, but I want to see him in matches where we also need him in the defensive phase. Well, he won't if you never pick him. <laughs> if he was ready for the Premier League at 18, then he'll be the best player in Europe within two years. Well, Wayne Rooney was. How will you know? <clears throat> yeah. How will you know? You'll only know when he goes to Bayern Munich. I mean, yeah. it's... Honestly. And, that, and scores a hatful of goals for If them. you can't see that that kid is, you know, really got it, then I don't know what you're doing in football, really. Because mm. he definitely has. So, um, yeah, there's some change to the uh, the FIFA looking to change the, the rules around loaning players. Yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not in unhappy 2020. about that. I mean, the, when you look at this... Six to eight players maximum. Chelsea yeah. have got 39 out at the moment, haven't it's, they? It's, it's ludicrous. Yeah. It's absolutely... It's, so many of them will never, ever get anywhere near playing for Chelsea. It's just a waste of time and yeah. effort. And it, I think it stops the ones that have got a chance, you know. Just use... I think six to eight is a good <clears throat> amount to go out on loan they can learn I mean loans are good with the right club or the right yeah. player but, if you you've know. got a view to playing them not just basically but putting them out on loan there's so many of them that will never play for Chelsea and mm. Miazga and Michael Hector they're all decent professionals but they're not going to play for Chelsea so what's the point it's Just I just have a clear out they could sell all that they're going to have to yeah <laughs> a fire sale <laughs> good yeah <laughs> everything <laughs> must go why not well done to Wally Downs our old mate Wally Downs mm. it looks like he's back in management with uh, his uh, kind of spiritual home uh, Wimbledon so I think that's going to be confirmed next week but I saw Gordy congratulating yeah, him so that's, that's good isn't it that's good enough uh, proof for me so uh, well done Wally uh, terrific news that and we wish him well at the club that he loves I wasn't sure about Sol Campbell's comments I mean you know it's not, it's not the best idea <clears throat> to speak of yourself in those <clears throat> terms is it really that you're getting a, a, one of the best footballers in the world you think? Well, yeah, well you know, he, he was a very very good player but it's not a for you to say and I'm sure the players in your dressing room know that I don't mm. think that's going to help you but anyway, we'll see how it can it goes. be intimidating. That sometimes you can feed yeah. off of that, but it can be intimidating and it can be. I mean, I remember. And also, when, it's got nothing to do with how good a manager you'll be. 
Yeah, completely irrelevant. Yeah. There's that classic scene, isn't there, in training in the, the great film about uh, Swindon. Uh, they made a few, uh, few when Glenn was the manager mm. there. Glenn Hodder was the manager. And they were doing this shooting drill. I think it was John Moncur, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, was. it was. And the, balls, the ball's been played across. I mean, they've been fired in. And he said, hey, John, get your body over. Hit it mm. first time. Mm. And he does a few. He said, yeah, it's good. He said, but just try it like this. And he said, I will do gaffer, but I'm not Glenn Hoddle, basically. <laughs> I can't do that. No, that's So it, it can be. It can be intimidating. Mm. But anyway, we'll see how it works out. Good luck to him. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. Joining us now in the studio, always a pleasure to see uh, comedian, Manchester United fan, Justin Morehouse. Hi, Justin. Hi, good afternoon, gentlemen. Good to see Friend you. Friend of the station, of course. Oh, of course, that's yeah, right. Yeah, 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 regular yeah. appearance on the... Uh, on Max Rushton and Barry Glenn Denning's show. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, this, yeah. Is, uh, this is the, the most... No matter what I've done, I've done a bit of like... I've done Live at the Apollo. Yeah. You know, I've been on uh, Phoenix Nights and all these things. When you're on talk sport, it's the most impressive thing with your mates, you say. <laughs> <laughs> I've, got, I've got one mate called Chippy, right? He's one of my best mates, Chip, John Chippy Tobin. We call him Chippy because when we were kids, he used to go to Chippy, get chips, peas, pudding, pie and gravy twice. <laughs> <laughs> once wrapped up, once to eat now. <laughs> and, um, one for the road, really. He's, yeah. he's desperate to come here. He's desperate to have a, a tour. Desperate oh, to come and have a look around. You could have brought him in with you. He could have. He could have brought us a sort of pie dinner, couldn't he? He could have well? come in, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he wants to. He wants to come around. He goes. I'd love to go to Talksport Towers. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He'd I think he'd be welcome. crushingly disappointed. Yeah. I think he'd probably imagine something like Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> well, like, <laughs> I have described it. I have said it is a bit like a transport calf. Yeah. <laughs> it, does, it does feel like that. There's newspapers everywhere. Coffee yeah. stains. It, it, you're right. It does. Yeah. It's got. It's got that look. It's got a vibe. Yeah. You could. You could just look round at any point and say. Can I have another cup of tea over here? Double please? egg yeah. chips and beans. Yeah, double egg chips. Who's and left beans. the uh, Who's left the long loader on the double yellows outside? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, mate, you box yeah. me in. Oh, nice cutting the accent from Justin. That's there. Nice. Yeah. Now, mate. talking <laughs> of which, we we were sitting in the office yesterday, and in one of the news bulletins, mm -hmm. we thought, "Is that Justin Morehouse?" Yeah. Well, we realised what the guy was talking about and listened a bit more intently. Because it clearly wasn't, <laughs> but we thought. This next character was a bit of a adjusted uh, Morehouse sound alike. It's Tyson Fury. Oh, now, yes. Have a listen to this. I went down the street yesterday and we asked 50 people, have you ever heard of Deontay Wilder? Two people said yes, and they were boxing fans. And on Saturday night, the whole world would know Wilder as the person that Tyson Fury just knocked out. There ain't never been a man that could beat him. It's diminishing returns. Yeah. 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 The first that he oh, knew, he knew was struck by. So I think you could do a Tyson Fury he's if you yeah, What I love about this fight more than anything is he's brought he's brought Dosser back, hasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> no one's called anybody a Dosser since 1982. <laughs> <laughs> You're a Dosser, mate. You're a Dosser. <laughs> You're a Dosser. That's what's going to happen. Great old school insults. And Deontay yeah. Wilder kicked off with her old mate Gareth A. Davis. You're about to, Just as they were leaving the press conference, he, see, he seeks out Gareth because Gareth's an old mate of Fury's who's been working with him for years and he's saying tell your friend he's in trouble tell him and then Wilder takes the glasses off and he's, he's kind of towering over uh, and he's saying you're alright Gareth's quite a big him. bloke he is yeah. quite a big bloke he's towering over him and he said he comes over here with these hard luck stories and it was almost like four Yorkshiremen yeah. he's like saying come over here don't you come over to my country I used to, I used to dream of living in a corridor you know, yeah. he's, it was like it's you know he's doing all that kind of stuff. I don't it, need that. I've had a tough life, mate. Not like him. It's gonna be a. It's it, it's got that feeling, hasn't it? I'm like most people about boxing. Is mm. that I'm interested in the big stories and I'm interested. In, I don't. I'm not an aficionado and everything else. But this one does feel like it's a street fight about to happen, doesn't it? Well, I, I don't think, know. Well, I think when it Fury, to, when it comes to it, clever. Fury yeah, yeah. will try and keep out of trouble. Wilder will be thinking. 
okay, I'll, I'm not sure he will go after him. I don't want to lose early. So I think it, it might get better. I think it might be a bit of a slower start than we Let all Let me think. clarify what I mean about that. I mean, yeah. like the, the build-up of it. Oh, yeah, it does of course. feel like at any moment it could have kicked oh, off. Oh, well, we saw that yesterday. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're not always orchestrated, these ones, are yeah. they? You can just tell. No, no. Well, Frank Warren said yesterday he remembers a fight. I don't know if it was one of his... But he remembers a, a fight where the guy, because he was saying, both of you get back, get back during when they faced yeah, yeah. off. Because one of the others uh, stuck the nut on the, and the cut the guy, and the fight was called off. Yeah, yeah. So that, be, yeah. that can be a danger, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, Imagine yeah. that. Imagine getting a fight called off for something Especially like Especially this that. WWE. They're just trying to sell on the pay-per-view. <laughs> yeah, we they are know. trying we to sell the pay-per-view. We know how it all works, really. Well, of I mean, course it is. But it's... might be nice if you were doing like pay-per-view comedy gigs. Yeah, we, that <laughs> would be good if I just stood there. <laughs> yeah. Me and the audience. Yeah. <laughs> you dossers. I've got these jokes. <laughs> I've got this. Uh, it's honestly, it's a filthy gag. And <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you the first line of it, but you've got to pay for the rest of it. <laughs> yeah. It will be fantastic. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about your show because yeah. uh, I know how good it is because I've seen it. I yes. told you that. And uh, I told you also that I had to leave. Yeah. Five <laughs> minutes before the end. It was most unfortunate. Was well, that because you had another show to go we to? We had another show to go. It overlapped. It was a disaster. But I, thought... I was a little... It wasn't my fault. What happens in Edinburgh a lot of the time is that the shows mm. run over, yeah. especially in the early part of the festival. It was the first weekend. Yeah. And, and people are finding their feet. And it's fine because people go, I need to leave. And I'm fine about that. But I think uh, your other half and her friend were on the front row. <laughs> they were. Yeah. And told me quite... I said, well, you... I made them go, didn't I? Yeah. yeah. I made them go before the big end. I went, you're not going five minutes early. Yeah. You go ten. Because I, I, yeah, you didn't annoying. want them in the way. Yeah. You didn't want them standing up as you're building to your big finish. Well, you don't know, the, the crescendo. Yeah, yeah, it's fair enough, really. Yeah. I've had enough women walk out on me. I've just got into my stride. <laughs> so, I, I thought you were on top form, though. Thank very, you very, very much, good. yeah. I really like... I'm 48 now. I've been doing this job for quite some time. And uh, I've been coming in here for quite some time. And I appreciate that. And I, uh, thanks for the voice. But I spent too long going... It's all right, it's good, isn't it? But you know yeah. what? It's time to just say out loud, it's a good show. Yeah. It's funny all the way through. I've worked dead hard on it. Yeah. Do you, got... is it, do you hone it then through a series of just lots of little gigs, working the material, getting, getting, and yeah. then sort of picking over it after a gig, the stuff that works, the stuff Yeah, that so this show, I worked with uh, Henry Normal. Oh, right, yeah. And he uh, directed it and scripted it for me. So I do 30 previews. So point before. out for those that worked with Steve Coogan for many years. Yeah. And Henry, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah behind Royal Family, 99, Mrs. Yeah. Merton. You know, he knows his stuff. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, he, he, I did some work with him, and I just told him all about my show, and he was really very kind about it. And I said, oh, it'd be nice to think that you could help me out on it. Joking. And he went, I will if you want. And I went, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he's helped me, and it was brilliant, because he took a different, he took an overview of it. Instead of just going... The hardest thing for a comic is where somebody goes, take that joke out. And you go, well, that joke works. Yeah, and they yeah. go, yeah, it, it, you get a laugh, but it doesn't take us anywhere. It's not mm. moving us on. We need to do this. We need to do that. And it's really good. So I record every single show that I do. And then I force myself to listen to it on the way home, which is really awkward. Yeah. And then I listen to it on the way to the next one. And then you hopefully improve. And, and the writing's done on stage. And that's how I do it. So I do 30, so about 30 previews, then go up to Edinburgh Festival, do about 25 times. And now it's ready to be unleashed onto the world it's bursting at the seams because in Edinburgh you've got a, an hour's limit well 55 for people who can't plan <laughs> yeah <laughs> you've got a real time time constraint so uh, so it's ready to ready to flourish now but it's, it's good fun and it's kind of like I think I'm talking about what a lot of people are interested in which mm. is you know what's the point of us <laughs> <laughs> yeah really yeah. yeah well it's true the, the, the lovely uh, poster as well the uh, mm, you nice as photo. you as uh, as the uh, the Joker, yeah, fantastic, nice makeup job. Yeah, well, she'll be delighted to hear that. Yeah, uh, it was it was great. In the, the the idea is, I'm I'm a Northern Joker. Yeah, and every review I've ever had will say, 
he is a northern working class comedian. And then sort of in italics are almost sort of like, but he's not racist or sexist. And you go, why do you need to say that? So I thought, what I'll do is I'll celebrate the fact that I am a northern comedian. Yeah. And actually, we, you are what you are. And, I, you know, so I'm a northern comedian. So I talk about being northern and I talk about being a comedian. And I, there's one or two surprises, as, as you'll find out. Um, I talk about being a vegan in the show, which is quite unusual for people. People can't stand that when they find out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so angry. Look at me, what are you doing? Really? And it's a funny thing, this with vegans. I've noticed that the anger it engenders on both sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite, it's quite it shouldn't amazing. really, should it? No, no, it shouldn't. It's just it's personal choice. Whatever you want to eat, you want to eat. Yeah. Uh, people who aren't vegans hate vegans, and people who are vegans hate meat. There's, a, there's another level in there as well. I've found out now vegans hate vegetarians. <laughs> really? Because they're sort of halfway houses. Make your mind up. Is Make that what your they're mind up. And then Basically. there's the other ones that I always do that joke when I say, what are the ones called who eat fish? The, um, what they call the ones who eat fish? I don't know. What are... Pis no, hypocrites. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was walking <laughs> into that. The trouble is, all I actually said was the, the start of that word. Yeah. It probably sounded like I was swearing. So that's are, are the vegetarians. Yeah. Vegetarians. One of the other aspects of the show I see is, he said, what can you talk to your daughter about uh, now she cares little for Dennis the Menace and the Bash Street kids? And it yeah. is an interesting isn't it? Kind of touchstones with your kids as they get older. with Not wishing to sound like sort of trendy, like you think, well, I don't want to say that. Or you say something, they, they both look at each other. I had two boys of kind of three years yeah, apart. Yeah, but you lose them. You lose yeah. them between the ages of about 13, 14 till about 18, 19. Lose them? Lose you to a point you do. They, they, I think you do. They, they, they look at you and they're embarrassed by you. <laughs> yeah. they, 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 they basically hate you. Well, this <laughs> is really interesting. You, you shouldn't have become a vegan. <laughs> yeah. I had, a, I, uh, my, I had my, my ticket was spare next to me for the United match on Tuesday. Yeah. And uh, I said to my son, you can't do it, he was too busy, and no one else So I said to my daughter, who's not been to the football for about three years. Mm. How old is she? She's 13 now. Right, okay, sorry. So up to the yeah. age of 10, she was mm. kind of interested in mm. going, getting the out, having some chips, getting a badge, doing all the things and everything. Yeah. And uh, she came, and she goes, no. And they found out why, because her and all her mates at school now, they fancy Marcus Rashford, don't they, and Jesse Lingard. <laughs> yeah. so they're all into the local lads who play for United, and they're into that kind of, yeah. they're like little pop stars, so she likes that. And bless her, you know what she did? She she wanted to enjoy it all the way through. She was staring at it. And I don't know if you saw the game. Yeah. Like, oh, well, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was a tough, watch. It was tough like, watch. It was like shooting fish in a barrel. But then after 90 <laughs> minutes going, there's no fish in this barrel. <laughs> the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hawksby and Jacobs here on Talk Sport. We're getting closer, of course, to Christmas. And it's time to turn on the Christmas lights here at Talk Sport. Yes. More specifically... Andy's uh, beard lights, Christmas beard lights. So we're filming this. You'll be able to see this uh, on the TalkSport website uh, and out ATS Asian J later. But we're very lucky. You always have a celebrity turning on the Christmas lights. <laughs> yeah. And uh, John Motson happens to be with us in the studio. Good afternoon, Motty. Hello there. I've never seen anything like this before. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, I mean you, who needs Regent Street? <laughs> well, well you, I understand you did Harpenden High Street once well, in the past. Well, South Down, just outside Harpenden. <laughs> okay. yeah. I did. That's the only time I've ever done it, but I've never seen it done like this it's well, fantastic it's well maybe let's just it? get underway and uh, okay. I'll, I'll just so John you can just uh, I know it's very moving for you it's a lovely personal appearance <laughs> yes, for you so I'll you. just switch I'll just step over and turn them on here we yeah, go, there, go. there we go right yeah, Paul's on his feet now and is this clipped to his left ear here the switch <laughs> there it goes there it is look at that beautiful the yeah. turning on of the Christmas lights here. Well at done, Andy. I should have had some Hanukkah lights. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You may have a few issues. 
it's a lovely touch. Just, okay. to, just to, if you'd waited, he could have had to turn them on by, uh, by Sir Michael Parkinson. That's, that's true. Yeah. That would have been better, wouldn't no, it? That's, that's very true. It was Martin, a bit more expensive than you, Martin, Yeah, that's the only thing. <laughs> yeah, he, he wanted folding money, John. I'm we can't have a serious it. conversation about football like this. Yeah, why can't I go on? To, just try, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> OK, I'll, we'll let you take them off. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hawksby and Jacobs here on TalkSport, making a welcome return to the studio to chat about his new book, George Best, a memoir. It's Sir Michael Parkinson. Michael, good to see you. Gentlemen, thank you for inviting me. Oh, yeah, listen, yeah, pleasure. Enjoy it. pleasure. Yeah. We, uh, we, we were talking about George. Yeah, yeah we, we, <laughs> we, we love the book. It's, uh, it, it's, uh, and the difference, really, to the Ali book mm. is that that Ali, you knew and you interviewed. It's uh, more a professional relationship. Yeah, but whereas this yeah. this was a, a proper friendship. He used to you, he would be invited to your house with your family as, as a bit of a <laughs> bolt hole over the years when it all got too much. For That's him. right. It was his bolt hole. You're quite right. He was on the run from some other woman or a manager, <laughs> <laughs> and he used to come down and he'd play football with the kids on the lawn. George wasn't impressed by faming people. You know, he really wasn't. I, I hoped that he, he didn't want to know me because I was famous, but he just didn't have any interest at all. He liked kids, and so bring out a bag of balls to play football with my kids, my three boys, and the name of the game was Get the Ball Off George Best, which never <laughs> happened. <laughs> now, there's a wonderful bit at the end of the book. Your son, who collaborated with yes. you on the book, he writes a bit called End Piece, and it's about this. His description yeah. of playing with George in the garden is fabulous. It? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very yeah. good indeed, yeah. It's, it's, uh, he, Michael writes well, but he was, of course, you know, obsessed with George, in a, in a sense, from an early age, and he tells that lovely story about you know, going to school the next morning after playing with George, and the teacher saying, what do you do at the weekend? Went to songs from a music museum. I, I play football. Yeah. Best. Do not tell Pibbs, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> give him attention. You, um, you, you kind of put him into context as well, Michael. The, the, the importance of what he was to that Manchester United team, part of that kind of post-Munich rebuild and the mm. way Sir Matt 
viewed him as a player. Yeah, he was important to Matt's dream. I mm. mean, Matt's dream was to win the European Cup. He's you know, against all the odds he went there. He felt guilty. He felt it was his fault, in a sense. He had that terrible aftermath where he just lay there and wanted to die. I mean, mm. he told me that on an interview. And then he's looking all the time for the Duncan Edwards. I mean, he's looking for that kind of figure who's going to lead the team into Europe. And he found him in this waif who arrived 17 years of age, you know, poster boy for the entire industrial revolution. The entire commercial revolution that happened at that time, the pop music and all that. Perfectly designed for all that. And what a player. I mean, Matt said, I once said to Matt, how good is he? He said, he's the best player I've ever seen. And I said, well, how can that be? He said, because I was thinking the other day, he's the best player in any position I've got in my club. In wow. position. Wow, Come on, that's mm. a big one. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there is so little footage of him, really. I know. And uh, although your book writes about probably his greatest performance, possibly the semi-final against Benfica, and that yeah. I found it is on YouTube, a sort of oh. eight-minute. I've never seen oh, okay, that before. Right. I watched yes. it last night, and of course you're right. He was brilliant. Oh, it's extraordinary. He really. The, the thing about him was his balance. You know, mm. it was that was the extraordinary thing. His players, his mates used to say they had double jointed ankles, yeah. but, he, mm. but he, could, he could lean at pace and go past people, and mm. he was brave and he could tackle and all those things. But he was also he was a showman. Uh, he, he was that. He understood his place in football. He understood how talented he was. He understood why girls screamed and all that sort of thing. And he introduced that soprano section, as I say, to the audience. Yeah, know, yeah. He did. And more than that, of course, he was so important as a player to United. He really was. By God, I mean, think of him now. Just think oh, of him wow, now, because yeah. he's exactly what any manager would want mm, in a team. Of course, yeah, so that United side. He's they could do him. The, the, uh, the interesting thing is you forget, amongst all the mayhem that went on around his life, in those early days, he lived and breathed football. He mm. absolutely well, loved football. Didn't and didn't he? drink either. Yeah. I mean, he was very moderate. Uh, but all of a sudden, it took hold of him, you know. And uh, you know, Michael Venny always said that because George was an alcoholic, the first time George let a drink pass his lips, he was then on the downward path. Yeah. Uh, if he was an alcoholic, and I believe he was, and several doctors I've talked to said, yes, absolutely so, you can't help it, you can't stop it. Mm. And he said to me once, he said, you know, when we go out boozing together, me and you, because we used to booze quite a bit, I have to tell you, in those days, we all did, didn't we? And uh, he said, that, so, you know, that uh, George said to me, he said, you, when you leave me at night at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, you go home, don't you, to Mary? I said, yeah. He said, I don't. He said, I stay up. He said, I go home with the kids who go walking to school in the morning. Yeah. It was as bad as that. Wow. Well, I, I loved your summary in the book. I mean, you say defending him was sometimes difficult, loving him never was. No. <laughs> and I think, you know, it, it struck me that this, for you, might have been quite a hard book to write because, you know, it's quite, it's a, it's a good read, but it's mm. a hard read because it's a, about the destruction of this wonderful talent. It was brought upon by guilt. I felt very guilty that I didn't go and see him in hospital. Uh, I tried to make excuses by saying I was in Australia, which is true. Uh, but, you know, I, I could have made a bigger effort to get back when I knew he was dying. Uh, and so I suppose what that book is, it's a, it's a kind of a tribute. To, it's a confession, in a sense, mm. uh, about my relationship with the, with the man I, I loved, actually. You had a conversation with him in, in 1969 when you were working up for Granada. And, um, and it's, we'll just play a little brief moment now. Um, and it was at the time when he had sort of started to to kind of go out, corrals, if you like, and becoming a bit of a sort of playboy. And, and you questioned him about that and, and, and where that fitted into his life as a professional sportsman. Mm. You can't burn a candle at both ends, <laughs> which I admit I have done in the past. But I think I'm beginning to settle down a bit. But, I mean, if you realise this, I and mean, you're bright enough to realise that this is, a, is something that could uh, act against you, why do you keep on doing it if you know it's it's wrong. It's against your best benefits. 
Because uh, <laughs> I enjoyed it, I suppose. It's quite telling, isn't it? He was just—he yeah. was having mm. a good time. Yeah, and you say in the book there was never a, an ounce of self-pity. He never blamed anybody for for ultimately what happened to him in his career. The worst thing you could say to George or let him hear in your presence would be somebody saying about his life as a tragedy. That used to really anger him. He says, "Not a tragedy. It can't be. I decided to live this way. Come on, Frederick, about that, and I enjoy it." Yeah. And that was the answer to it. You know, people didn't believe him, but I did. I saw it happen. When he used to come and stay with you in, in the family, Mark, did, did you kind of talk to him about this? Did you did you sort of attempt to say, look, George, really, did you have a kind of intervention, you and other friends? Or he, not? he knew what I thought, and, and you know, particularly in the days when I sobered up, in a sense. <laughs> <laughs> when I, you know, I was able to sort of you know, wag the finger at him, if you like, mm. uh, without fear of him saying, well, you should talk. Um, but but he, he never, he, he didn't want to talk about that because he'd made his mind up, you see, and, and he weren't going to change his mind, that's for sure. And he was having, by his own terms, a good time. He was also having, by his own terms, the impossible task of conquering the fact that he was an alcoholic. And when you actually are that person, then you can't stop. And that's what we understand now about alcoholism. And, of course, it's interesting, too, when you, there's now being proved that genetic disposition between families, you know, and, and his mum was an alcoholic. Mm. So if that be true, and I think it is, and I checked with doctors and I said, yes, that's true, there is a genetic disposition, then, you know, he got it from his mum. And, and again, he, he, also, he turned that round even. He always blamed himself for his mum's condition. You know, yeah. it was the other way around. Yeah, he did. I mean, he, he, he did beat himself up about that. Then he felt he his fame. Had, yeah. had, had kind of increased uh, alcoholism and made it worse. I went to his house in Belfast last week. Oh, wow. You know, they've been taken over by kind of charitable trusts and they've got a lovely, a lovely sort of a memory to him because they've got their memorabilia all over the place. And I just made one, it sounds silly, I know, but I, I went upstairs and, and, and the, for the first time and they showed me his bedroom, which so I two up, two down. It's exactly the same bedroom I had at home. Well, really? really? Yeah. <laughs> same, same size. I mean, I could see how George fitted it, but not how I fitted it. Yeah. <laughs> but it was I mean, an indication of the kind of background he came from. You know, yeah. people tend to forget that. You know, it's, it's, it was a. It was a numbing background in many mm. ways, but he made the best of it. And it kind of what comes across, really, from what you've said, a kind of, a, a kind of quite intelligence, really, a, a bright man. Mm, absolutely. Alan, I want to talk about in the next section. Yeah. He talks with such foresight about football, yeah. about the way he, he predicted is yeah. exactly the way it played out. That's well, right. We'll, we'll hear Amazing. a moment from right. 96 shortly mm. um, uh, when uh, Michael's chatting to George about his career and, and finishing as early as he did, sort of 27, 28, effectively that being the end of the road. Uh, so Michael Parkson with us. We're chatting about George Best of Memoir and uh, we'll continue doing that uh, after the sports headlines. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. We're chatting to Michael Parkinson about his book, George Best and Memoir, which uh, if you enjoyed his Muhammad Ali book, I'm sure you'll enjoy this too. It's a collection of uh, the transcripts of the interviews as well as uh, Michael's thoughts and stories about George, who was a, a personal friend of his. And we'll start this little section with a chat that, Michael, you had with George in, for his 50th birthday in mm -hmm. 1996. Yeah. And, and it's a football conversation. You, got, you, you covered a lot of ground, but you started to talk about football because effectively his top-level career ended when he walked away at 27. Mm. When you, when you again, when you look back on, on, on your career, uh, you mentioned there that your career finished at 27. Well, in a sense, we haven't seen the best of you, have we? Uh, no, I mean, I, I hadn't peaked. It's a thought, isn't it? <laughs> do you ever think about I, it? I, I do, actually, I do, yeah. <laughs> I do, I mean, I, I get annoyed with myself, because I, I think, I, I actually quite enjoy watching myself play. <laughs> and I think, <laughs> that's the best part of it. And, uh, yeah, I do. I, I often wonder, you know, what... Uh, you know, the problem would have been that if, 
if we could have kept that great side together, like for three or four more years, you know, what would it have been like? Uh, or if I'd have stayed on with a side as good as that for another three or four years, even even longer. I mean, uh, if I'd have kept fit, I could have played until I was. Otherwise, I mean, there's still players today playing 36, 37. Mm. Uh, I could have been playing sweeper until I was uh, the age I'm today. <laughs> wow. <laughs> do you think? Do you think he felt it had been a mistake that he maybe had gone down a different road had he continued playing, Michael? Or, yes, or... I, do, I do. I think he was generally remorseful. Not that he would do anything about it. No. <laughs> he wouldn't be remorseful enough to change his ways. You know. I mean, but but uh, he had that option. His life was in his hands. And to be frank about Georgie, he never saw it any other way. He made the decisions, and not anybody else. And so, it's, if there was a fault involved, it was his fault but he's right to be nostalgic he's not as nostalgic as we were no. who loved him and loved watching him I mean what a player he could have been mm. into his 30s early 30s you know, never mind playing sweep and all that but you know I watched Messi play the other day in, in the European Cup I mean, 32 I think isn't he and he's still a wonderful player and I thought oh god George you know you could have done that mm. and, and longer too and it's, it's that sorry thing I mean he had a what he had apart from huge skills and, and, and bravery and all that sort of speed and a lot he had that something about him like Ali the Boxer had and, and like Roger Federer has. It's a sense of style. Mm. It's when you watch them, you admire their skill, but there's something else about them yeah. which mm. is magical. It's too ball balletic. It's, I don't know what it is, but there's something they're different. Mm. They just look different. They run differently. They move differently. And, and he was a star, a huge star. He really was. None bigger in the game that I've seen. It's amazing because he created a. The, he was the first footballer of the brand, and you do an yeah. interview with him and the, and the Beckhams, and of course there's an absolute comparison. Without George, there would be no David Beckham no, in sure. that way. Yeah. But Beckham himself, you have to admire him because he wasn't like George. He didn't have those skills that George I had. Didn't. He just made the best of what he had. He listened to the advice, the good advice. It mm. might have been, of course, that George arrived at Beckham's time. The system might have been in place to make things different for George because mm. we have to understand. You, I, mean, I, I was then, so it happened. I mean, his first agent was a man who was a table tennis player from Huddersfield. I mean, come on. I mean, he was getting 5,000, 10,000 letters a week from girls. Yeah. You know? mm. And so nobody was prepared for what happened to George. Now, there's a, a willful pro process in George, whichever way you look at what might have been done. But nonetheless, I do happen to believe, had he been born 10, 12 years later, or come to 10, 12 years later, things might have been different. And certainly, from the medical point of view, I mm. think they would have picked up rather quickly the fact that this guy was drinking a bit too heavily. Let's have a look at this properly. Yeah. And, and that might have changed him. He uh, and uh, I remember that seeing the pictures of that house. I remember seeing a feature about it. It was like a big, very <laughs> ultra modern seventies yeah, yeah. design, like kind of it looked, it <laughs> glass <laughs> prison, as he called it in well, the that, end. That's right. And he, he was, was besieged in there, wasn't he, uh, by fans that would just rock up because everybody totally. knew it in the area. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, he's, he wondered is it the kind of quiet cottage is what he sort of then was taken apart by by various people who were starting to have this this white thing. It looked like a sort of a an outpost of the foreign legion. It was like something from The Prisoner, wasn't it? It was a really <laughs> odd design. And they had this wonderful um, uh, pond full of carp, very expensive. The kids used to nick them on the way to school. <laughs> and they'd get calls from the headmaster saying, I've got five here, five of them. Where do you go? Do you want to sell them, you know? <laughs> Crazy. Uh, I, uh, I mean, no, the book is about George, but you have some observations in it, and I thought your observation about the description of how the game has changed during your lifetime, mm. and the quote is, like watching a two-up, two-down in central London being replaced by the Shard. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I think that's pretty accurate. I yeah. think that's fairly true, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you look at it nowadays, and of course it's much more spectacular and much more colourful and all those things, but you do miss that essential character that there was in the game. If it be even if it be chopper Irish kicking people, there's a sort of sense of... of 
the unity with the with the or union with the audience and the and the players, which is gone now. I mean, yeah. it's gone. Three hundred fifty thousand quid a week, eh? Something. Oh, come on. Yeah. It's balmy, isn't it? Really, mm. I don't care how you. What would George be worth? Oh wow! Eh? Yeah. If Pogba was worth Definitely. eighty-seven million, what was George worth? And George could play. Now you interviewed mm. him uh, five times. You say if only four uh, have, have kind of um, stood the test too. of the time because one got wiped at the BBC, which is staggering, really. But oh, yes, uh, they always have a committee and you know, to sit down and decide what they should get rid of. And I have to think <laughs> they got rid of the Dawson Wells interview too. Wow! But um, <clears throat> John Lennon you mentioned. and John Lennon too, and they used to sit down and uh, make room for the, the the idea was that they make room for other stuff to keep. I think I was. Rubbed out, and Orson Welles have rubbed out, and George to make room for a Peruvian nose fruit Something I've seen that one. It's very good. It's very excellent. But probably one of uh, an infamous interview, less famous <laughs> interview, was the one that he did on Wogan that time, where mm. he went out live and and that's and the most painful. Thing. I just wondered, had you? Been, I mean, this is not an attack on Terry Wogan. He was no, fantastic. No, it wasn't Terry's fault. No, the it fault wasn't. was his producer. Terry was in the studio. Terry didn't see the state that George arrived in. That the guy would never have got past my producer I'll tell you George no, no way even though I was a personal friend of his he wouldn't have had to ask me he would not have allowed him on because it's not fun to see a drunk come on like that and particularly a sick drunk like George was mm -hmm. and behave like that why would you want to do that why yeah. you can't talk to him the terror's in a terrible situation he couldn't do anything about it he tried very hard but you know there was this fool in front of him this drunken oaf you know and George would deserve more than that and and uh, I wasn't cross at Terry because it wasn't his fault no. his producer well there's another story he does watch. get shown that and it's always painful I know. To watch. it is and painful it's, isn't it it's, it's yeah. although on the other side you, your son in his bit there he, he remarked on a bit of footage that I saw for the first time last year and that there was a documentary wasn't there on him I think yeah. last year and it was a solo guy I'd never seen before for in North America where he, I think he was annoyed about something and he just took the ball and decided to take <laughs> it himself and score. It's a brilliant goal. It's a brilliant moment. You, you spoke to him in with David and Victoria Beckham on your show yes. in, in 2001. Yes. And we'll hear from him now. And he, he seems seemed very upbeat. Uh, let, let's hear what he had to say. I remember once in the hospital in America, uh, he was an Irish guy who had become a counsellor and had been dry for something like 20-odd years. And he said to me, you know, you... We all need a crutch, but you've got to realise that one day it might not be there. Yes. He said, and he said the way I looked at it was, it's like you've got a choice of switching the light off or on. Yes. He said it sounds oversimplified, but that's it. Yes. I said one day he said you've got to decide whether you want the light to keep shining yes. or do you want to switch it off. Yes. And luckily I made uh, what I think was the right decision. And at the moment, uh, you did. life is just, I mean, it's compared to what it was just, just a year ago. It's, it's amazing. What, so you literally do, now actually do live it day to day, don't you? I have to. I have to. Yeah, I have to. <laughs> I get up every morning and slap myself in the back and say, well done. <laughs> <laughs> So that's 2001. Yeah, he sounds good there. And he'd had the, yeah. the, the thing, thing sort of fitted, medically fitted, that meant that he couldn't drink. Antibuse. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that but thing. it didn't stop him. No, it didn't. I mean, I nothing, mean, nothing stopped him. Did you feel, Michael, when that time, when you had that conversation with him, when he, he sounded very optimistic, my life's turned around, did, did you feel optimistic for him or were you... Did you I, I wanted to feel optimistic for him and, and so therefore I always gave it the benefit of the doubt. I lived in eternal optimism that he would one day stop. But, you know, I suppose being realistic and looking back, I, they, I, I think I tell the story in the book about the, the guy, the United players used to come down to Nick's pub, my son, uh, George's team, and we'd do a big charity event for their charity. 
And one day a guy offered me 20 grand to actually get George down there uh, for the charity. And so I called him up and I said, listen, this is the deal. And I said, and the guys would love to see you. They'll not see you forever. And I said, will you come? He said, yeah. I said, but wait a minute. I said, I'm not going to serve you any drink. So he abused me greatly for about 20 minutes. And then, <laughs> but then he said, no, I'll come. And he came. And the players, it was wonderful to see the way they received him and they adored him and all that, and the time he had. And he didn't have a drink at all. And he went home. And I said to Mary, when I got home, I said, you know, hopefully. I said, I, don't, I know I shouldn't say this, but I think we might have cracked it. And about what, two months later, he was dressed up for fighting in the street or something. And then I think about six months after that, he was dead. Wow. Terrible. Finally, I want to ask you about the cover, because as a <laughs> mad cricket fan, I can see that you're both playing cricket. Well, I, never, I never, I knew you played cricket, mm. but I never knew George played. I mean, what, what he couldn't. But he couldn't get him out. And what's more, <laughs> we, he played in a game, he took a wonderful running catch, because his hand-eye coordination mm. was such, you know... Uh, but I think it was the only game I've really ever played. So we decided to, uh, because the kids that came down for the charity game were wonderful and extraordinary. So we built a goal, and then we had a Georgian goal, and these children had, had uh, taken a pot shot at him and, uh, and all that sort of thing. And after about 20 minutes, we had about 40 crying kids because he wouldn't let a goal. <laughs> I mean, he was so competitive. Wow. I mean, anything he ever did, he had to win it, you know. He wasn't nasty about it, and they couldn't mm. understand when we said, George, let a ball in. Why? <laughs> Why? Because they're crying with the kids. That's <laughs> frustration. Well, Michael, it's lovely to Brilliant. see you again. Thank you so uh, much for coming in. You, really enjoyed the book. Mm, uh, excellent. George Best, a memoir by Michael Parkinson is uh, out and now available in hardback and is uh, recommended quacking. There we are, that was this afternoon's show. Uh, yeah. If you enjoyed that, do recommend Parky's book, it's very good. So we'll see you tomorrow. John Cena amongst our guests, if you're a wrestling fan, hopefully mm. he'll come in and do a crutch old and slam on Andy. It's always <laughs> a joy when that That's happens. what normally happens. <laughs> uh, that's next week, isn't it? Why are you, why are you saying that to me? Did I say tomorrow? Oh, okay. We'll just pick it up then. So that's us for another week. We're back on Monday from one, and joining us uh, will be wrestling fans, John Cena. Good. And uh, I'm definitely going to get him to get you in a headlock, Andy. <laughs> yeah. Headlock and lobby across the office. Absolutely no idea he is, but yeah. never mind. That's sure would be great. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of him. Uh, okay, fantastic. Well, that's, that's got him on side, I'm sure. Um, have a great weekend. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) 
a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.